0: There was an older preacher in our church at Fort Gibson named Laman Garrison. Laman was a passionate disciple of Jesus who thundered out God's word every time he preached. He took an interest in me when I answered the call to preach and kind of poured into my life in many ways. One of the ways that he did, he called me, he was asked to preach a revival somewhere in east, deep eastern Oklahoma and wanted me to go with him to the service. And during the invitation that he had preached and poured his heart out, he cried out, Someone here is getting their last call. Come to Jesus now. He later told me on the way home that he felt the Lord was saying to him that somebody in that service tonight, this was their last opportunity to come to Christ. that if they did not respond that night would be their last. However, that would work out. The urgency and the clarity with which he had said that was startling to me. But it always stuck with me. The urgency that he had then is the urgency I I, I feel pretty much every time I I preach here lately. I don't know if I've ever felt this much pressure for this consistent of a time before. Everything... That we're doing. Feels urgent. Very urgent. Right now. Not that there's ever been a time for games in church. But just that there certainly isn't now. Because of the urgency I feel we're going to take a break from the gospel of Mark for a while. And talk about our need to wake up to the urgency of the hour. The idea of wake up comes from Mark, or Romans 13. Do this knowing the time. It's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore let's rid ourselves the deeds of darkness. And let's put on the armor of light. There's more to that passage. And we'll look at it as part of our series. But not today. Today we're going to start... In what may seem to be a weird way. Because it may not seem to fit with the idea of waking up. But we're going to start by talking about our need to wake up. And get out of our ruts. Now the omniscient Google defines a rut as a habit or pattern of behavior. That has become dull and unproductive. But is also hard to change. So a spiritual rut is when our relationship with Jesus become stagnant and all the things that used to stoke our fire for Jesus are unproductive and maybe even burdensome to our souls. A pastor by the name of Chuck Lawless gives 10 warning signs of a spiritual rut. You read the word, but it's only a check the box perfunctory reading. You do it because you're supposed to. Not because you really want to. You pray, but your prayer is brief and repetitive. It's lost any real sense of relationship between you and God. You can't readily talk about what God has been teaching you lately. And that's because you haven't been in the best spiritual condition to learn from him. You feel spiritually tired. He says, I don't know how else to describe it. You just feel blah. About your spiritual walk. You've not shared the gospel with anyone for a long time. This happens when we're in a rut. Our attention to evangelism gets diverted. You go to church but with no sense of excitement or anticipation. You're still faithful Sunday after Sunday. And you might even serve each week. But you have no expectation that worship will move your heart. And I would add or anyone else's. You're less sensitive to the Spirit's conviction when you're under temptation. It used to be that you turned to God and fled temptation quickly. You still fight temptation today, but with less zeal. All your testimony relates to what God has done in the past, with no present tense stories of God's work in your life. All the high points of your spiritual growth are in your yesterdays. Today is just a routine. You find yourself less in, less interested in being with other believers. Fellowship is a routine. And so it doesn't motivate you to join with others. Your spiritual walk is on autopilot. You do what you're expected to do as a Christian. But you're just going through the motions. Does any of that sound familiar In your life? Are you in a rut? The reason we need to ask and honestly answer these questions to see if we're in a rut is because the situation in our culture is so grave and so dire that we, as disciples of Jesus, cannot be on autopilot. The world desperately needs us to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus who are on mission with Jesus. The world desperately needs disciples of Jesus to be fired up and not stagnant. The world desperately needs disciples of Jesus to wake up and get out of our ruts the world may not know it desperately needs this, but as we look at the world, we can see it does. So our main truth today about getting out of a rut is this. It takes intentional, disciplined, spirit empowered effort. To get out of a rut. I, it. Every aspect of that is something we must understand because we, we cannot get out of our ruts without that. It takes intentional. We may drift into a rut, but we cannot drift out of one. If we are not intentional about doing what needs to be done to get out of our ruts, we will not get out. It takes disciplined. And by disciplined, I mean consistent. And our best we are going to have a time of invitation afterward where we come forward and cry out to Jesus to help us. But if that's all we do, we won't get out of our rut. It has to be more than a one time decision at the end of a service. It has to be consistent over time and it can't be half hearted. We can't halfway put forth effort to get out of our rut. It must be our best effort It must be spirit empowered. Because while our own strength is sufficient to get us into a rut, our own strength is certainly not sufficient to get us out of the rut. And it takes effort. Falling into a rut is easy. Staying in the rut is easy. But getting out of a rut takes effort. Legitimate effort. Effort on our part, hard work on our part. With this clear in our minds, I want to give you three intentional, disciplined, spirit empowered actions to take to get out of the rut if you're in one. First is take responsibility. One of our first actions to get out of our rut is to take responsibility. Now, there are two aspects of taking responsibility that we have to understand. One, we have to take responsibility for getting into our rut. Our culture is very much a blame culture. Nothing is ever our fault. And if ever we think something is our fault, there are always plenty of people to come along and tell us it's not our fault. We are culturally conditioned to blame others, and to have reasons for why what we have done is not our fault. This is a victim mentality. And a victim mentality is a defeated mentality. And as long as we are victims, as long as we perceive ourselves to be victims, it wasn't our fault, we will never get out of our rut. To get out of our rut, we must say we did this. We did this. Or we didn't. Right? We, we didn't deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Jesus. And that's how we ended up in our rut. We didn't walk in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of our flesh. And that's how we ended up in our rut. We didn't make every effort to add to our faith. And so we ended up in our rut. At some point, we made decisions. And these decisions resulted in actions. And these actions are the cause of our rut. And we must handle that. We must own that. We must take responsibility for the fact we're in a rut. Now, let me be clear. Taking responsibility for getting into our rut isn't to say our lives were all hunky dory beautiful and easy when we made the decisions and took the actions that led to our rut because this may not be true. Taking responsibility for getting into our ruts is not to say we don't have a natural disposition that makes falling into ruts easy because we may. It is not to say we don't have outside stressors like financial issues or marriage issues or work related issues or health issues that makes falling into a rut easy because we may. It's not to say we're not under direct spiritual attack intended to push us into a rut because we may be. Rather, taking responsibility for getting to our rut is saying regardless of any other circumstances in my life. I made decisions and I took actions that directly led to me being in the rut I'm in right now. The reason we must take responsibility is because God's word puts the responsibility on us. God's word tells us that there is no temptation overtaken us except that is common to mankind. God is faithful and it will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to do it. Several things about this. First, notice the temptations we face are no different than what the rest of humanity faces. It's important for us to understand Because the devil wants us to think that what we're experiencing is unique to us. Nobody else is like that. Nobody else feels what we feel. Experiences what we experience. That is a lie. For our context today. This means every person faces temptations to make decisions to end up in runs. Every person. Second. Notice the disciple of Jesus has an advantage over humanity in general. God is faithful. We have a faithful God who ensures that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. Our faithful God ensures we're never tempted beyond our ability to resist. Again, for the context of a rut. This means no matter how much pressure we're under, we're never actually forced to make decisions and take actions that lead us into a rut. Why? Because our faithful God ensures there's always a way of escape. In that moment of temptation where we feel the pressure to get into a rut and stay there, our God, who is all powerful and who is all faithful, is actively at work in that moment and in that situation to ensure that there is a way out and we don't have to stay in get in the rut and we don't have to stay in the rut this is why we have to take responsibility for being in whatever spiritual rut we may be in the second part of taking responsibility is to take responsibility to get out of our rut you and i We are responsible for getting out of our respective ruts. I can't get you out of yours. And you can't get me out of mine. Now that doesn't mean I can't help you. Or you can't help me. We should help one another to the best of our abilities. But. If I don't put forth intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered effort, you cannot drag me up out of my rut, kicking and screaming. And if you do not put forth intentional, disciplined, spirit-empowered effort, I cannot drag you out of your rut, kicking and screaming. If we're in a rut today, it's because we chose to get there. And if we stay in our rut after today, it's because we chose to get there. You and I are fully responsible for every aspect of our spiritual lives. No one else is responsible for where we are or how we go from this point on. And if we are not able to accept those things as true, we will never get out of our rut. If I cannot accept responsibility, I will never get out and I will stay in my rut until Jesus comes back or I die, whichever comes first. And if you will not take responsibility, you will not get out of your rut until Jesus comes back or until you die, whichever comes first. The first intentional, disciplined, spirit empowered effort is to just say it's all. My fault. And it's all my responsibility. And if we are not willing to do that, we are not willing to do the rest and we will never get out of our rut. So first, take responsibility. Secondly, seek Jesus first. Now, that seems wrong since that's the second point. But here's what I mean by seeking Jesus first. Often what happens is we get into a rut and we begin to seek something other than Jesus for our help. Right? We, we realize something is not off. Something is not right. Something is off. And so what we do is we, we start Googling. How do we get out of a spiritual rut? Or we want a book. That will give us ten easy steps. And if you take these ten easy steps. Then you'll get out of your rut. Or a devotion on you version. Five days to a new you. Or, or something along those lines. But we want this really easy thing that we do. That we can fix. Again we have to take responsibility. But we want to do it all on our own. And then we try those things. But they don't work. And, and they don't work. And so then. After we get deeper And deeper and go longer and longer. Then we finally think, well maybe I should should seek Jesus. And what's happened in the process of our being in this rut is not only seeking Jesus to help me out of the rut. But our time with Jesus has taken a hit. Now unless you're vastly different than me when you get into a rut. Maybe you don't get into a rut. Maybe this is just me. But when I get into a rut. My time with Jesus begins to stink. It's just not very good. As Chuck Wallace said, I do continue to read my Bible. But I have a checklist of how many passages I'm supposed to read and what on a day. And I, I read it to mark it off so I don't get behind. My prayers do become like what he said. Short, repetitive. I just kind of read off a laundry list of things I need Jesus to do. And I go on and I, if I'm being really ruthlessly honest. I just want my prayer and Bible study to be over as fast as it can. My time with Jesus has taken a a massive hit. And in order to get out of our rut, we have to reestablish that time with Jesus. Because what happens is, when our time with Jesus takes the hit, it just makes our rut deeper. I mean, the primary means of seeking help through prayer in God's Word. And when prayer and God's Word are perfunctory and not anything significant, the rut gets deeper and the longer we stay in it, the harder it goes. So we, we have to reestablish our time with Jesus. Seek Him first. Get back to saying, before I read an article and ten steps to, to get out of my rut, I, I need to get back with Jesus because ten steps without Jesus won't get me out. Ten steps without Jesus. This five days to a new you won't make me new without my time with Jesus. So we have to retrain ourselves. By getting back in the word, getting back in prayer. And then we begin to pray as we reestablish this time. I'm in the word. I'm praying. I'm trying to. I'm struggling. I think it's okay to be honest that we're struggling. He knows it's not like it's a surprise. Lord, I, I'm, I'm struggling today. Mercy, I I I couldn't tell you the number of times I've told the Lord, I I don't want to be praying right now, Lord. I'd rather just go make some popcorn and, and watch SWAT on TV. I mean, I, I just, I don't want to read my Bible, God. I, I don't want to pray. I don't want to prepare a sermon. I don't want to go to church. I, I know y'all never have that problem, but I'm telling you, I, I do. And so I just... Because I know that as long as I'm trying to hold it in and not do it, it's not helping. It's just making everything worse. So as I'm trying to reestablish, as we try to reestablish, then we have to begin to say, Lord, help. Help me out of this rut. Lord, I'm, I'm taking responsibility. I'm, I'm trying to seek you first. But God, I know I can't do it on my own. I, I know I need your help. And as we begin to seek Jesus to help us out of the rut, there are some specific prayers we can pray that that would help us. Prayers from this psalm. Search me, God. Know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting life. Now, this familiar prayer from the psalms can be used to to model how to pray very specifically for Jesus to show us and Jesus to help us out of our ruts, right? And there's four prayers we can pray. First is is search me. When we pray for Jesus to search us, we're praying for Him to search our hearts, as you see there. Now, our hearts are extremely important in in our culture. The heart is the seat of the emotions. I love you with all of my heart. It's not the way it was in God's word. The heart in the Bible was the seat of the will. What's in the heart comes out in the mouth. What's in the heart comes out in life. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. So what we need is for Jesus to to search our hearts and expose whatever's there, because there's something in our heart that's off. And that's what's led us to make choices, take actions that led to our ditch. Our hearts are never fully with Jesus and lead us into a ditch at the same time. There's always something there that's not right. Now, the problem with this is that you and I can't search our own hearts. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. That's what the Bible says. It says that the person who follows his heart is a fool. That's what the Bible says. So how do I find what's wrong in my heart? I can only go to the one who searches the hearts. That's what the Bible says. So we ask him to search our hearts and expose whatever's there. To reveal whatever darkness or bad or wrong or wrong priorities or wrong anything that has led us to make choices and take actions that have led to our ditch. The condition of our hearts will play a huge role in our getting into a rut and the condition of our hearts play a huge role in our getting out of a rut. We pray also for God to, to test us. Look, put me to the test. Now, My Bible says your anxious thoughts. Others just say your thoughts. But it's a prayer for Jesus to perform a critical evaluation of our thoughts. Now, the two aspects of our thoughts we want Jesus to test. One is our, our focus and our motives. Our focus is what we're thinking on. Philippians 4.8 says we're to think on things that are right and true and good and pure. Things that are noble. Colossians 3 and 2 tells us to set our minds on things above, not things below. Do you know that what we think on, it typically determines the choices we make, the actions we take. And what we think on can have a significant impact on whether we get in a rut or we get out of a rut. So we want, we want, cause I mean, it would be, again, for us, we're all, we typically can find justifications for ourselves. We're, we're just masters at self-justification. We want him to test our thoughts. What is, what is the majority of my mind focused on? Is it on things that are right and true and good and pure and lovely and noble? Is it on things above and not things below or is it, On all the things I I shouldn't be thinking on. Because what we think on, it's going to determine by a lot the course of our lives. But we also want him to test our motives. Why we do what we do. Now, typically, we're the only ones who genuinely know what our motives are. But if we're not careful, we can even even deceive ourselves there. And what we want is for Jesus to test our motives. And find out if they're pure. If they're really what I say they are. In one psalm, the author prays for God to put him on trial. To cross-examine him. To test his motives and affections. Our thoughts play a huge part in setting the course for our lives. Our thoughts play a huge part in getting us into a rut. And will play a huge part in getting us out of a rut. The next part is a a break me prayer. See if there's any hurtful way in me. And we're not just wanting him to show us things in our life that are wrong. We want him to make us feel about those wrong things the way that that he feels about them. We want him to, to break our hearts. As it were. We want to feel about the things in our hearts and lives and our motives that aren't right. We want to feel the way he feels about them. We want our hearts broken over the things that break his heart. We we read Psalm 51 at the start of the service. It's a good psalm to show what it looks like to be broken over sin. A break me prayer prayer. Is asking Jesus to break our hearts over our sin and our wrong thoughts and our wrong motives and the wrong things in our heart so that we would be brought to genuine repentance. A lack of brokenness over the wrong things in our life leads us into a rut. And brokenness over the wrong things in our life leads us out of the rut. And then we pray for Jesus to lead me, lead me in the way of everlasting life. Praying for Jesus to lead us has many implications. It's a prayer for him to to lead us to get the things out of our lives he doesn't want in our lives. In a general way, it means praying for him to lead us to do all the things he wants us to do in any given situation. For the context of a rut. Show me how to get out of this rut. Because here's the thing, Jesus is omniscient. He knows what needs to be done to get out of our rut. In fact, he's the only one who does. You and I, we don't know. If we knew how to get out of our rut, we wouldn't be in our rut. And so we're saying, you show me what I need to do. And with this is the implication that I will do it. But right? it's not saying, Jesus, you show me. What what you think I ought to do. And I'm going to compare that with what the Google says about it. And then I'm going to put that to find with with the way I think it ought to be done. And then I'll I'll harmonize and pick the best of all of them. That's a double-minded man who shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord, James says. If we're playing for Jesus to lead us, we're saying, you show me and I'll follow. I'll follow you out of this rut because you're the only one who knows how. To be sure, we did not follow Jesus into the rut. And we can only get out of the rut by following Jesus. In a very real way, seeking Jesus to search us, test us, break us and lead us is a prayer of surrender. We are surrendering in this kind of prayer. We are surrendering our our minds, our thoughts to Jesus. So that we would think on the things He would want us to think on and we would think the way He wants us to think We're surrendering our affections, our hearts to Jesus. Who do we love? How do we love? What does it mean to love? What are my desires? We're surrendering our hands, our deeds to Jesus. What do we do? How do we do the things that we do? What should we not do? We're surrendering our feet to Jesus. Where do I go? Where do I not go? What do I do when I go to this place? We're surrendering our eyes to Jesus. What we look at what we don't look at, how we view the people around us. We're surrendering our ears to Jesus, what we listen to, what we don't listen to, how we listen to what we listen to. There is no aspect of our lives that is not surrendered to Jesus when we pray for him to search us, test us, break us and lead us. We are surrendering our values, priorities, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, our morality, our preferences, our money, our time, our hopes, our dreams, our plans, our everything to Jesus. Seeking Jesus to help us out of a rut is serious business. It is not a game. It is not something we can do half heartedly. We must be all in if we are going to seek Jesus in this way. And if we are in a rut today... We must put forth the intentional, discipline, spirit-empowered effort to get out of the rut. But we cannot do this apart from Jesus. It will never be out by our works or our goodness or our, ourselves. We need Jesus. We need to reestablish our time with Jesus. We need to seek Jesus to search us and break us and lead us and test us to show us how to get out of our rut. So we take responsibility. We seek Jesus first, then we must reject complacency and apathy. Complacency is an attitude saying, I'm fine just like I am. Apathy is an attitude saying, I don't care. There is, and there will always be, a pull to complacency and apathy because complacency and apathy appeal to our sinful nature's desire to do what is easy, what is convenient, and what is comfortable. We must be alert to our personal tendency toward complacency and apathy and reject them because complacency and apathy probably played a part in getting us into our rut They will make it seem like getting out of a rut is far too much effort. Things are okay like they are. I'll just stay here. When we're complacent and apathetic, we won't respond to the Spirit of God or the Word of God. We really don't do much. We pretty much stay the same day after day, week after week, year after year. When we're complacent and apathetic, we're content with the way things are. We learn to accept it. This is the way it is. And we don't try to push out of them in any way at all. Now, the thing about complacency and apathy is it causes us to miss out on God's best. Jesus said he came to give us life and life more abundantly. That's not the life in a rut. We do not experience the abundant life of Christ in a rut. We do not experience the abundant life of Christ while we are complacent and apathetic. Instead, when we're complacent and apathetic, we just stay the same. We do the same things day after day, week after week, year after year. We're content with no change, no progress, no nothing. We just exist and take one step in front of another. And I'm going to heaven when I die. Good enough for me. And we live with the status quo of our rut. Complacency and apathy. It guarantees we'll never get out of our rut. But here's the thing. We don't have to live in our ruts. We do not have to accept complacency and apathy in our lives. In fact, the mindset of accepting a rut as unchanging is a demonic stronghold in our minds. A stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness. Causing us to accept as unchangeable what is clearly contrary to the will and the word of God. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Abundant life through Christ is always the will of God. Anything encouraging us to accept less than what God's word has revealed is ours in Christ is a stronghold. The abundant life Jesus came to give us is not the discouraged life of living in a rut. We should all reject complacency and apathy because of who we are in Christ. I want to quickly remind you who we are in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1 3. We have been chosen And adopted by God. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. We are favored in the beloved. Ephesians 1, 6. We have been redeemed and forgiven through Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7. We have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, that will never fade away, reserved for us in heaven. Ephesians 1, 11. 1 Peter 1, 4. We are sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. God intervened. In our lives. When we were spiritually dead. Children of wrath. And made us trophies of His grace. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. To fulfill a God ordained purpose. Ephesians two ten. God gave us hope. When we were without hope. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. We have confident and consistent access to God Ephesians 3:11 and 12. We are part of the family of God Ephesians 3:14 and 15. We are strengthened with God's power through God's Spirit Ephesians 3:16. Jesus dwells in our heart through faith Ephesians 3:17. We are loved by Jesus with a love which surpasses knowledge Ephesians 3:19. We can be filled with all the fullness of God Ephesians 3:19. The exceeding abundant, unimaginably great power of God is at work in us right now, as His children. Ephesians three twenty. That's only a part of who God's Word says we are. From one book of the Bible, every single one of those statements is true for every single born again disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why then should we let complacency? And apathy lead us to stay in a rut. We shouldn't. We should not complacency, complacently and apathetically stay in a rut. Because of who we are in Christ. We can't complacently and apathetically stay in a rut because of how desperately the world needs us. To be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led disciples of Jesus who are awake and on mission with Jesus. Many years ago, a Puritan pastor named Richard Baxter exhorted his generation to wake up and get busy with these words. This is our case, brethren. The work of God must needs be done. Souls must not perish While you mind your worldly business or observe the tide and times or take your ease or quarrel with your brethren, nor must we be silent while men are hastened by you to perdition and the church to greater danger and confusion. If you'll allow me, I'll paraphrase his exhortation for us today. This is the situation, brothers and sisters. The work of God must needs be done. Souls must not perish while we lazily languish in our rust we must not be complacent and apathetic while men and women boys and girls all around us are rushing toward an eternal hell wake up rise up flee to jesus and get out of your rut let's stand The invitation today is for disciples of Jesus who know they're in a rut. But not just those who are in a rut, those who are tired of it and ready to get out. If you are ready to get out of your rut... Then I am going to ask you to take the first step to get out from behind your pew, come down to the altars, and cry out to Jesus for help. Now, I know you can pray where you are. Sure, Jesus is back there just as surely as he is up here. But the easiest asked thing that we will ever do as a part of intentional discipline, spirit empowered effort, is to step out. Come down, and if we are not willing to put forth that amount of effort, it is highly unlikely we're willing to put out any effort at all. Get out of your rut, get out of your pew, come forward and cry out to Jesus.